0: Welcome everybody to this week's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. I've been asked a number of times during the week, why am I doing this? Why am I giving out all of this free information um, on the markets and what it means and where we're heading and all of those sort of things? Well, let me tell you, I'm doing this because I want you to become a more intelligent property investor. Because more intelligent property investors make better decisions, they make more intelligent decisions, and as a result, get better results. Now, The reason that this timing is particularly important is because we are entering a cycle. Now, remember, I am an accountant and I am an economist. And this cycle that we're entering right now is going to be very, very crucial for yourself and your own financial futures, as well as your family's futures and probably the generations to come. So that's why this time will be very, very important. Now, the other thing that I want to mention before I get into the masterclass is this. The last time that we have had massive increases in pricing, like we are seeing now, and like we are likely to see for some time to come, I want you to think back at the end of GFC as an example. What did you do? How much advantage did you take of the upheaval in pricing that happened from 2010, 2012 onwards? Bottomed out in 2010, but really took off in 2012. What did you do then? How many properties did you buy for those next few years? How much did they increase in value? Because these are the kinds of times that we are entering again. In fact, I could take you back to the mid-cycle slowdown in the early 2000s. Think about the pricing then if you're old enough. Think about what those prices were. What did you do then? How many properties did you buy? What happened? Think about uh, the uh, the early 90s when we had the last recession. I mean, this, this recession that we had in 2020 um, was the only the, the second recession since the 90s, or first recession since the 90s. So, you know, what did you do then? I mean, Sydney prices back then were $194,000. That was the median house price in Sydney. And other cities were similar. How many properties did you buy? What would they be worth today? The reason I'm being so hard on you right now is because I really want you to understand the importance of this period of time that we're coming into. Now, I put this information out on my website, which is iloverealestate.tv, so you can get all of the previous versions of of, uh, this particular masterclass that I do on a weekly basis. You can go back and listen because it it tells a story. And the more that you, you go through and you listen to the story, you can see how it's developing. If you listened to me last year, you would have taken massive action as well. But I also put it out on my YouTube channel. And I also put it out onto Spotify and onto iTunes. So if you're listening to this as a podcast on Spotify or iTunes, then I really, really encourage you to to jump onto my website, iloverealestate.tv, and get a subscription to these masterclasses. They are all free. And, um, you know, I don't sell properties. This is all about knowledge and making intelligent decisions. Because when you go on there, you can see all of the charts that I'm showing you as well. So all the information, all the latest charts, all the rest of the stuff, let's get into what it is in this next little masterclass for the week. So what are we going to cover? The first thing is we're going to be looking at how the spending cycle accelerates property pricing. We actually need to be in a spending cycle, which we are only just tapping into right now, and I'll explain that in a minute. I wanna talk about the real reason why most Australians, and I know I've got Australiana there, but I mean, most Australians won't become financially independent. And I think you'll agree with me when I go through all of those reasons. The next thing I want to talk about, and this is really a continuation of uh, what I've been doing over the last few weeks, I want to talk about the trade sanctions with China, and how much of an impact or not that they're actually having on our economy. So there's a good news story there, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. All right, so let's have a look at business confidence. Now, you need to have business confidence in order to uh, to have a growing economy. Now, a growing economy creates jobs, it creates wages, it creates employment, it creates profits, it creates dividends, and the money goes round and round and round. But here's another sideline to what happens from a business confidence perspective. So, first of all, when an economy is booming, as I've got here, the first thing happened, we're going to start up here on the on the top left, is we have higher spending. So when things and the, the business confidence is there and the consumer confidence is there and we're out there and we're just, you know, we're spending, we're buying shoes, we're going to restaurants, we're, you know, out there doing things, we're having holidays, etc. we're spending money, which means all of those businesses where we're spending money are all making money. And those businesses then employ people, and those people then have more money to spend, and the cycle goes round and round and round. So that's actually what creates higher growth. Now, growth comes in the to- in the form of economic activity. You know, GDP, gross domestic product, economic activity, gross domestic product is a, is a measure of activity in the market. And when you've got lots of activity, aka everybody's spending, then the economy gets into a, a higher growth cycle. A sideline to this, and you may not like this sideline, but a sideline to this is we have more money, so we pay more tax, <laughs> now don't get too scared about taxes but we pay more tax which means we've got more money government money than to spend on roads and hospitals and schools and all the other things that we spend money on which creates more jobs and more infrastructure spending etc that creates uh, that rise in the the economic uh, economic activity creates confidence both at an individual level and also at a um at a business level and that in itself creates a surge into asset prices. So asset prices rise. Now, when we talk asset prices, we then go into housing, of course, I'm property centric, as you know, but we're also talking about the share market because all those companies where people are spending more money and making more profits, and therefore their share prices have an elevated effect on them as well. So that creates another increase in asset price. But that's not all. Because our houses particularly go up in value, not so much the share market, but because our houses go up in value and we have more money and equity in there. And if we've got a reasonably free um, financing sector, which we do at the moment, we can borrow against that. And guess what? People spend more money. They go back and they put in pools, they buy new cars, they buy another investment property, they et cetera. So that exacerbates and we go round and round and round. And that is the boom cycle of an economy. So there's a little bit of theory for you. What's actually happening? Well, here's what's happening. Household wealth is now up a pumping 7% on a year ago, despite the worst recession that we've had in decades. So just have a look at that chart. You know, the last time we had an actual recession was in the early 90s. I don't know whether you remember Paul Keating coming out very famously and saying, this is the recession we had to have. Well, this is the last time we've had one. Now, what is a recession? Well, a recession is two consecutive uh, negative growth quarters, yeah, so that, we haven't had one since we haven't had two consecutive negative growth quarters since the early 90s. But we did have one last year in, in 2020. So, um, yes, we've had this massive, massive um, negative, negative economic effect, but we are now up on what we were at this time last year. So, isn't that fantastic? Here's a few other statistics for you. Now, when we talk about housing statistics here in Australia, you can see that seven, sorry, 67% of Australians have a home. Of that 67%, 32 of them don't have any mortgages, 32%, and 35% have a mortgage. 32% are renters of some description, and there's a 1% floating out there considered to be others so just have a look at those figures there what this means is that as we go through this this growth cycle like I showed you before um, what we're now noticing then is the house prices are now going up which gives everybody more equity so if you think about it you know 67 percent of the population is now wealthier as a result of this increase in house prices they a lot of them will use that money to actually spend more in lots of areas, whether it be into, uh, into the markets, whether it be back into the property investing, whether it be into, as I say, pools and cars and holidays and whatever else, a lot of that money is now going to be spent because we are now wealthier. So that's an important thing to remember as we talk about this whole economic cycle. This chart shows you in the month of March, March 2021, just how much dwelling prices, which includes houses and units, went up um, in that one in that one month? So just have a look at this. This is the so this is the percentage change for the month. So we're looking here at uh, four three 2.4% for Brisbane, this is the capital cities, obviously, uh, 37 for Sydney, Canberra went up 2.8%, Hobart went up 3.3%, Melbourne went up 24 Adelaide went up one5 Now, just remember, Adelaide barely had a COVID recession as far as house prices are concerned they just kept pumping along um perth I, i'm actually surprised a little bit of perth it only went up by 1.8 percent, considering it had been down for so long um it's got a prolonged downward cycle so the upward cycle i thought would have been a little bit better than that but if you look at it over the three-month period it is actually bigger than that it's just the this is the average over the the, the quarter and then we see Darwin sitting up there at, uh, at 2.3. So every capital city went up significantly and that's only in a month. So this is how much the, co- the confidence from a consumer and a business perspective is playing out. This, this chart here shows you that the the greatest single monthly growth of housing market in 33 years. Look at this chart. I'll just put on the big screen for you. Look at this chart. That red one there at the end, it might not appear red to you, but it really is red. Um, And just compared to all the other blues, that is the highest single month change in pricing that we have had in 33 years. Doesn't that blow your socks? It certainly does to me. You know, that's incredible. Now a lot of people are going to think okay well how long is all this going to last? Look in a lot of my training and I won't do a lot of that today but um, I, I go through the super cycles. In fact you know I've got an event on this Saturday where I'm going to go through the super cycle and what the actual wealth launch codes are, for this, you know, the, for the rebound that we're going through right now. And I'm going to show you what that is. So if you jump onto my website, you can register for this Saturday's event. It's a whole day's training with me, and I'll explain the super cycle and what it means and how long this is actually going to last for. So that's on this Saturday, um, and all the details are on my website. Now, when we have a look at the housing, uh, housing sector in its, in its entirety here, just, this, just the construction side of the housing sector, this chart shows how dramatically, again, housing has rebounded at the end of 2020 and into 2021. Now, that has been accelerated by government stimulus because, remember, we had the home builder boost. So a lot of people jumped on board to try and get the $25,000 and then they became the $15,000, et cetera, et cetera. So the, um, you know, that, that's, been a, that's been a massive, massive increase for the construction industry. And some of you negative Nellies out there might be thinking, oh, well, we're going to go into oversupply with all of these new houses coming on board. We actually won't. And I'll explain that again on Saturday because we entered COVID in such undersupply. You know, we, were, we, we went through a two-year period of time pre-COVID where we didn't have a high supply chain. And the reason for that was APRA because APRA got involved and they restricted lending. So there was no point in building all these new houses when nobody could finance to buy them. But that's, again, a bigger story that I'll be talking about this Saturday. Just to give you a little bit of an understanding of statistics and how much this spike in construction actually plays out in the economy, have a look at this. Here's some statistics. Now, this first one has been put out by the Property Council of Australia, and they say that properties are the nation's biggest industry and the largest employer, Accounting for 13% of Australia's GDP and provides 1.4 million jobs. Now, that is more than the mining and the manufacturing industries combined. So you can see how by having a, an upsurge, as we see here in construction, just how much that is impacting the broader economy, let alone the, uh, the property, uh, property pricing and property cycles. The Australian Bureau of Statistics has come out and said that it has estimated that for every dollar of residential construction, it generates three dollars in the broader activity of of an economy. And the Commonwealth Bank economists have come out and estimated that for every one million dollar reduction in spending on residential construction, it cuts about seven jobs on a full-time basis. So you can see the construction industry is the best way to stimulate the entire economy because it doesn't matter whether you live in Alice Springs or you live in in Sydney or Melbourne or anywhere else. You've got the same ability to be able to to pick up on any of the stimuluses that are out there and and that creates the same amount of jobs as it would in Sydney, as it does in say Alice Springs as an example. So it's a good thing. And the thing with this is, we're not the only one. So when you look at real uh, house prices across a number of countries there, you can see that, you know, we're up there. Our, our pricing has certainly come up. and But they've come, you know, they're all going up. And this is because we are coming out of this, this COVID period of time. This chart probably shows it a little bit better because this shows you from um, just taking from January, 2017. Now that includes the low that we had. So just have a look at this chart here. You can see here, that's that's the lot that we had down here where APRA restricted lending. So everyone wanted to buy, wanted to do things, but couldn't because of the um, because of, of APRA getting involved and in restricting lending so cr- dramatically, and then the Royal Commission and everything else that went on. So our our uh, pricing actually went down during that period of time. Then we had that brief reprieve before COVID hit. COVID. This this line here is COVID and then we've had the acceleration out. So when you compare us to other countries like Canada, the US um, and New Zealand, you can see here some of the European countries over here as well. You can see here we are behind what's actually happening in those countries. So even though we live in our little bubble over here and go, oh my goodness, I can't afford to buy a house. When you look at us compared to other countries, we are nowhere near where um, where they have gone from a housing price perspective. So there's still a long way to come to go from our perspective. Now New Zealand is one to watch. You see that massive spike up here in New Zealand. A lot of that in itself is Auckland. Now Auckland has had, I think, in in the uh, in the January month alone, the prices went up by by double digits, which was oh, off the charts. But um, they what they what they're predicting is that that Auckland is about six months ahead of Sydney when it comes to house price relativity. So Auckland is actually rising above and and creating this, this massive surge that everybody expects Sydney and then Melbourne to follow. Will it affect Brisbane, Adelaide, the rest? Not as much. Uh, because we, they haven't had the downturns that Sydney and Melbourne have, particularly Melbourne. Uh, but Sydney it correlates very, very closely with what happens in Auckland. So that's an interesting phenomenon to watch. I mean, you've got US, and you've got Canada, but they're a long way away. New Zealand is very close and relatively, you know, people pop backwards and forwards um, or have done traditionally. So uh, those house pricings are going to be very, very interesting to watch as the months roll on. Because you see, everything in economics comes down to demand and supply. When you have demand higher than supply, we have house prices going up. When you have supply higher than demand, house prices will go down. That's the end of it. We entered COVID with such low, low supply and high, high demand because we had two years of pent up demand from 2017 through to 2020, there's a brief reprieve there in 2019 for six months, uh, we have had pent up demand. Then we had COVID where we've got more pent up demand uh, with all these millennials and and you know, multi-generational housing and all these things, they're busting at the seams to actually move out and actually take positions in the property market. So we've got a lot of internal pent up demand now depending on how long it takes to actually open up our borders, because there's a huge amount of activity and looking at properties in Australia from overseas, what we're going to see is as soon as we open up those borders again and we open up immigration in particularly, we are going to have a second wave. So right now, this wave is being taken up by internal, Um, demand and speculation to some degree, but internal demand. But when that next wave of uh, immigration starts again, and it will, because we're going to need them to pay for COVID, um, we're going to need their tax dollars, then uh, we're going to have a second surge. That's what's going to happen. So we're actually in a money super cycle right now, a money super cycle. So That begs the question then, why isn't everybody wealthy? If we're in this massive super cycle, why aren't everybody getting out there and benefiting? Well, I think it's pretty simple. For example, when we look at at wealth and wealth building and we look at previous periods of history when we've had massive surges in house pricing, people didn't take advantage of it. They look back, oh, I wish I'd done this. Oh, I wish I'd done that. Or they might have just owned their home and got some benefit, but not a big benefit. You see, wealth building isn't for everyone. It isn't for everyone. For example, if I say I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy an investment property, you get this barrage of, of people coming back to you, your friends, your family, the you know, the people who are closest to you going, oh, but you know, what if the renters don't pay? And what if they trash the place? Okay, as you got insurance for that kind of stuff, you do your figures, and you know you you you'll buy in areas where there is high rental demand. For starters, at the moment there is a massive, massive shortage of rentals in most capital cities. Not all, but most capital cities. See, this is the power of education. This is the power of knowledge, because you can research this. You can you can find out. You can know with a great degree of certainty, whether your place is going to rent or not. But people always come up with these stupid comments that are uneducated. And they they simply don't, don't have the, the knowledge, the wherewithal, or the inclination to actually step up and find out for themselves. They just sit back and whinge. If I said I was going to go and invest in XXX share portfolio, whatever it is, but what if the company goes broke, you'll lose all your money. Well, that's what knowledge is for. That's what education is for. If I said I was going to go and start a new business, oh, don't you know that most businesses fail within the first five years? <sighs> this is why most Australians will not become wealthy. They will not invest in themselves. They will not spend the money to educate themselves. They will not invest in themselves so that they know what a property is. So that you can do grid variance analysis and determine where you should be investing. So you do your feasibility studies and work out, you know, exactly within a 10% margin, how much money you're going to make. They just simply will not invest in themselves. So consequently, they sit back, they whinge along, they try and drag everybody else down with them. And that is why the majority of Australians will not become wealthy. Now, I might have treading on some toes there. You know, I might have I might have hit a few raw nerves with some of you that are listening. But that's the fact. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of our country. And the moment we stop being a country of knockers and a country of give it a go, we won't, as a nation, move forward. Only the select few who, who get out there and educate themselves in this market that they're going to be the ones that are going to succeed. You know, when you look at, at an investment and in education, investing in yourself is the only investment you can never lose. You can never lose by investing in yourself. There isn't a divorce. There isn't a law court's lawsuit. There isn't anything that can take that away from you. You know, when you interview the, the, the billionaires of the world, they say, oh, your first billion's the hardest. You know, after that, if I lost it all, it doesn't matter, I'll go and make it again. Because they have the knowledge of how to do it. I think they were talking about millionaires, not billionaires, but anyway, same thing. Same thing. So that could be you. And see, for a lot of people, they're not prepared to have delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is what gives you that money into the future. You know, the instant gratification, you might get a dollar now, but you you lose out on many dollars into the future. So it is about delayed gratification. It is about not buying that brand new XXX car right now, or that, uh, you know, putting the, the, the swimming pool in, or any of those things which are luxury items, it might be about getting out there and buying a positively geared investment property that has manufactured growth potential that will make you another couple hundred thousand dollars, because that would be a better application of your money. But again, that's where education comes into play. But you know, when we look at Australia compared to the rest of the world, the reality is. We are all wealthy. We are. I was looking at this the other day and it says, if you have food, on your, food in your fridge, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the rest of the world. If you have money in the bank um, or in your wallet and have spare change, you are among the uh, the top 8% wealthiest people in the world. I was reading some other statistics. I was looking at um, some, some stats, in the, particularly about some of the poorer countries around the world. And um, there was a statistics that came out and said that if you earn $30,000 a year or more, you are going to be in the top 1% richest people in Bangladesh, where the average wage in somewhere like Bangladesh is less than $1,500 US a year. So, you know, we, we can whinge all we like but we live in a country where you can make your fortunes and particularly your fortunes in this next very short period of time. The next three to five years are going to be so crucial to your economic outcome. You could pay off your house in the next three to five years. You could replace your income in the next three to five years. You may never have to work again if you chose to, if you take action, educate yourself and take action on that in the next three to five years, that's the opportunity that we are coming into. But doing it without education is stupid. Stupid. You see, you wouldn't go and, and, and um, I don't know, wire your house unless you'd been trained as an electrician. That would be stupid. Most people would agree. You wouldn't go and build a bridge unless you've got engineering as your education. That would be stupid. But people go out every single day and go and buy property with no education at all. They go and buy off marketeers who raise the price forty dollars to $80,000. I had an ad for one this morning when I was driving here to the studio. You know, the, the uh, $40,000 to $80,000, oh, we'll find you a property for you. we'll analyse your situation, we'll find a property for you. Yeah, they just go to the marketeers. They buy an end of the line product that's forty to eighty thousand dollars overpriced, and it's negatively geared, so it's going to cost you money. Oh, there is such a better way than this. So, you know, again, if you want to tune in this Saturday, I'm going to be talking about a lot of that kind of stuff. I've got a whole day to share some time with you, because your only limit is you. You will only do what you um, what you believe you can do. And you are limited on what you believe you can do by your education. Because if you don't know, you don't know what's possible. Look, I'm taking to take a little bit of a break now because I want to show you how I can actually help you. Um, I've set aside a couple of my advisors. Now, we have put some time aside and they have appointment times. Now, they're 60-minute appointments. They are free And all you need to do is click on all of the buttons down the bottom here. um, And you can, Alec, you can get yourself a slot. Now, there's not a lot of them, but there are some that you can, they will go through your personal circumstances. They will look at your goals, dreams, aspirations, and then talk to you about some of the things that you can do to start moving yourself forward. They're going to talk about how we can help you how we can help you actually um, make these next three to five years the crucial years for you that change the rest of your life. That's how important knowledge really is and particularly applied education. Now I'm calling these the real estate breakthrough sessions and they are 60 minute long. They are for free Um, and I have allocated a few appointments there um, for you to be able to to take up one of those appointments. I really, really super encourage you to do that because at least you'll, you'll be able to find out how we can help you in your journey and how these next few years can really, as I say, change the course of your life forever. So the details are all here grab one of those appointments. If you grab one of the appointments, make sure you put it in your diary and turn up because I've allocated a very limited amount of my advisors to this time. So they will be there on time, ready to talk to you. Um, you know, and that's going to be on, a, on a, um, a Zoom or a telephone if you can't do Zoom. And um, they will be able to, to help you out with what you can do over these next, next few years and how we can help you with that. All right, back to the masterclass. I want to get back to this China-Australia trade war that's going on. Now, I must say, I've got to reiterate this. This is not a people-to-people thing. It is a government-to-government thing, okay? So let's have a look at what's happening in commodities. Now, when we look at the commodity charts here, this is actually just steel. Now, you know, the steel um, pricing, for starters, is, is going up. Um, and uh, you know this is the this is the futures pricing uh, for China. You can see their, their prices are going up. So why would that be the case when they're going, well, we're not going to buy from, from Australia? Well, they're still buying iron ore because they simply cannot get the, uh, the iron ore in the quantities or the quality that we have in Australia. They've put an embargo onto coal, but what they're finding is that the coking coal that they're getting, which they need to burn in order to make the steel, is nowhere near the quality that they've been able to get from China. But what we're seeing is too bad, so sad, China because we're just diverting our markets. When you have a market that is that is a, um, it, it has a fixed demand. So in China can say, well, we're not going to buy from you anymore. Nah, 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 nah. Well, whoever they they are now buying from, whoever that country used to sell to, now is out of pocket. So they're not buying from them. So what's happening is we're now selling to them. And what this little fiasco is doing between australia and china is it is actually raising the world pricing so uh it's it you know it's it's cutting off its nose despite its face is what china's doing right now but anyway that's my opinion So when we look at our our exports, and this is this is the coal exports and the sanction when we sanctioned by China and how we've been able to shift to other countries. So here we were last July. You can see there. This is what's happened to our exports of coal to China. But look at our exports elsewhere. They're basically mirror images. You know, they're mirror images of what we've been able to to accomplish. So, you know, this upturn is a good thing. It gives us diversification. There's a lot of other countries uh, like India, and, um, and Indonesia, particularly, who are now t- reaping the benefits of our very, very good quality coking coal, um, even though places like India have got their own coal, it's such low quality that they actually have to mix it with ours in order to be able to get the, the quality of steel and whatever else that they need. So that's a great thing. This is other exports. So these are the other exports. So they made a big hullabaloo about, you know, um, lobsters and wine and cattle and whatever else. Too bad. So sad. Look what we've done elsewhere. Again, these are the virtually mirror images of each other. So, you know, you can, you can be the negative Nelly. You can be the one, oh, the, the, prop, the, the, the company's going to go broke. Don't buy shares in that. No, the renters won't pay. Don't buy an investment property. No, don't own a business because they're all going to go broke within five years. You can be that person, but you won't succeed if you are that person because you'll never take action. You'll never invest in yourself to get the education to know what to do and to give you certainty around your outcomes. So if you wanna dwell on the negativity of what's going on with the trade sanctions and that's gonna pull back and oh, but what about this and what about that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you can be that person, but that person doesn't succeed in the long-term. That person won't be able to pay their home off in the next three to five years. That person won't be able to replace their income in the next three to five years. Now, you can be that person or not, it's your choice. And the difference between the two, the bridge between the two, is investing in yourself. Invest in your own education so that you don't make uneducated, unintelligent decisions or stupid comments um, about about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah, we could have a we could have an asteroid hit us tomorrow, and we'll all be dead. Yes, that could happen. Do we focus on that? No. We get on with life, and we make things happen. So a quick recap. First of all, Australia is really, really well placed on the global scale economically, both from a housing sector, from a growth perspective, from a GDP perspective, from a COVID perspective, from a everything except for vaccinations, which, you know, there's two sides to that story too. Um, what you do in the next few years will change your family's fortunes forever. That is true. Next three to five years is gonna be very, very crucial for you. And the China sanctions are basically just a ripple in the ocean and most of the commodities traded um, have been replaced elsewhere. And you are your only limiting factor, but you can do something about that. You can change your your limiting beliefs. You can educate yourself. The more you know about anything, the better decisions you're going to make, the better results you're going to get. The less fear you're going to have, the more you'll be able to break through any limitations that you, you have. So that's it for me for this week. For the next step for you, though, it is to take up one of those real estate breakthrough sessions with one of my advisors. They are free. Now, it is iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. That's how you get one of those those advisor appointments if you're listening to me on podcast. iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. Now, there's only a few of them. So, if you want to take advantage of my offer to have a free 50, sorry, I can't get the words out, 60 minute interview with one of my advisors to discuss how we can help you in your journey, then that's how you do that. All right, guys, that's it for me. Uh, That was my Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I wasn't too tough on all of you. And uh, I'll catch you again next week. Now, remember, if you're listening to me, particularly on podcasts, make sure you subscribe to my, uh, my weekly masterclasses on my website, which you can find all the details there. So bye for now, and I'll catch you next week. Bye now.